Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Now on this show we have a special guest. Her name is Hilary Jamron. Uh, she actually died from a drug overdose when she was 18, went to the other side, and then only partially returned. One part of her soul remains on the other side while her physical body came back to what we call the real world. When, she, when her body returned, she was confronted with a number of lifetimes of challenges to overcome, including paralysis from her brain injury, a serious and recurring bout with hepatitis C, breast cancer, and over 15 surgeries. She has lost husbands and friends and many other things, but despite these obstacles, she managed to earn a master's degree in community social psychology and has had a successful career in the mental health field, working on substance abuse, dual diagnosis, and with schizophrenics. She currently lives in Bellingham, Washington, with her helper and trusted advisor, her dog Alfie Romero Pellegrino, who we might be hearing a little bit about. She's also been uh, able to write down her amazing story in a new book entitled Sur Surrealistic Trials, Surviving My Life After Death. Her work has also been published in both national and international educational and professional publications through the, the University of Washington, the Federal Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, and the Public Health Agency of Canada. So uh, I'd like to welcome you, Hillary, to the show. I'm glad we, we were able to put this together here, and I'm looking forward to talking to you about your amazing life experiences. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Well, uh, I think that your, your story is very unique. You know, there's a lot of books out there that talk about uh, near-death and afterlife experiences, and I think that people are starting to pay a little bit more attention to this area as the number of people with credentials continue to write down their experiences and I think that your contribution yeah. is is very powerful um, to this because I think it opens up another aspect of our world that we may not appreciate uh, and also we may not appreciate the reality of it but let me let me get to a question a lot of people are probably wondering about and that is, what is it like uh, to die or to come near death? What is it like? It's comforting. It's very comforting. It's very... Um, I felt sort of just at, at ease, completely at ease. And I... My experience was different from a lot that we all read about. And I think that's because 
I was so young, and I had no pre- no preconceived notions at all. I had not read about the white light or you know what you're quote supposed to see. Therefore, I believe that uh, God and the universe met me where I was comfortable, which in my case was in nature. My particular uh, experience was uh, that I saw myself, I was on a raft in the middle of a very calm ocean, and it was a a handmade sort of raft tied together with a rope, and I was hovering just sort of above it like a butterfly, and the raft was going from, uh, there were islands dotted around in the distance, and the raft was moving um, in the area between these islands. I didn't feel it moving, but it was moving because the islands were getting closer and farther away. I never did land on an island, and I've I've often wondered whether uh, if I had landed, I wouldn't have come back. Mm. I don't know. But that's what it was like for me is, that I am now absolutely sure that things are going to be just fine. Things are good over there. Well, I think that's I think that's encouraging, of course. And now there there's this there's this lifelong eternal uh, mystery over the connection between the afterlife and this life. And I, I think I think a lot of that movie, The Ghost, which of course when Hollywood gets its hands on anything, you never know what's <laughs> going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, they made a love story out of it. But but what what kind of connection, if any, can you describe uh, in your in your own words? I know you talk about it a little bit in your book, but but what does it say about? Um, communicating or or visualizing or observing the the other world or what we call the real world. Oh, you mean here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you were when you were um, in 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 the in the white light, when you were in this very very near death experience that you had, I was dead. And yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I, I I think that you're right. I would call it. I I think that you're right. What what. Did you did you uh, experience um, another world? I mean, were you hovering? Could you see yourself? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I saw, actually saw it uh, several different ways. Um, and I didn't mean to interrupt you yeah. there. I don't. I don't. I don't. Um, I prefer not to use that term, near death experience. I think. Um, I think that we've. Our society has created that partly because of a huge discomfort with death. Yeah. And near death somehow seems safer than death. Yeah. But people who are not breathing and, you know, people who, like me, who were blue and have aspirated, um, were dead. And that's just what it is. Now I forgot the question because well, I also well, well, came back I, with it. Well, no, no, that's fine because you know the big question here is what mm. kind of connection, if any, oh, okay. did you feel with with the what we call the real world? You know, it was interestingly objective. Hmm. 
I saw I saw both. I mean, I saw myself as sort of a um, small, hovering, little me body flying, hovering in the air above my body that was here in the hospital bed. And I was in Mount Sinai in New York City. So I had the me in the bed. I had the little hovering me. And then I had the me that the bigger me watching both of them. So, it, I mean, it sounds complicated, but it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have had what would be called out-of-body experiences. I have, a vague, right. I have a vague memory of having one when I was younger, and mm. it's the kind of thing, and I, I always tell people, um, whether I'm interviewing uh, somebody is on the spiritual side or a scientist, mm-hmm. I always say that Nothing beats a personal experience. And when you have one of these things, even though maybe at that moment you can't take out a camera and and make a movie out of it or, or take a ruler and measure, you know, how far above the operating table you really were, you you <laughs> you could still it, it there's nothing beats nothing beats this this personal experience. And I think uh as a side note, I think that's one reason why this field is not going to go away. This field of right. of uh, spirituality or new consciousness or whatever we're calling it, but I but I know what you're talking about when you sort of when you when something else is hovering, and mm-hmm. and you witness, um, you know the the physical world or your own body. It's an amazing it's an amazing thing. And once that happens, you know I'm sure it happened to you. It's like there is no doubt. Folks, none, that, there, none that, that there is, and also there's no doubt that there is another realm. Um, I think I, one absolutely of the, right, right. And, and I think that that's something I want to get into a little bit more. But I, I want to highlight, I thought, what I thought was one of the most um, important uh, statements in your book because you do a lot of, uh, you know, not only with anecdotes from your own life and personal experiences, but you also have some some uh, reflections and statements about what this did to your uh, worldview and one of the things that really hit me was that that there was that there is really no a difference between between what we call real and what we call an illusion that they're all real and right. and, I, and I thought that was really good can you can you just talk about that a little bit i mean you know it's sure. it's 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 a rich concept but but why don't you talk about what you mean by that and how your your experiences uh, validate that point? I think that our perceptions, our realities. Uh, let's say let's say you're meditating, um, and you your body is in one place, and you're meditating, and every, everyone who meditates uh, goes off somewhere else. So. When they stop meditating, they tend, you know, they come back to their body and go about their business. Okay, let's let's leave that part that's meditating out, and you get up and walk, walk around in your body with that part of you that's meditating, walking beside you or above you or next to you or however you want. That's another reality. I think. Uh, you know that's one way to 
I think for for a lot of people to be able to envision what that might feel like. I also worked, um, as you said, I worked for 20 years uh, strictly with schizophrenic people, and they, you know, their realities are as real to them as your reality is to you, as my various realities are to me, depending on which one I focus on in a given moment. They're all real. I mean, who's to say that are that you're that I I'm right sitting in my house talking to you on the phone, or that. Um, you know, a schizophrenic who's having a delusion say that that monsters are going to come take over the town and they have to go get their dynamite out and blow them up. That's their reality, and to them, that's real. Yeah, well, I, I think might. what I think one of the most I think one of the most important things here, and I I was interviewed a couple of weeks ago, um, about on. Um, about illusions and reality because because I I think that we live in a spiritual world. I mean this is part of part of my own book and part of my own. I mean I I come from it come at it from a little different perspective, but I sort of wind up at the same place. And I was asked, "Well, what about the real, you know, well what about the real world?" And I said, "Well, that is the real world. It's the same thing. You just haven't we just haven't risen to that realization." But one of the things that I think is important here is let's take the example of an of an hallucination, which is okay. which is very similar to the schizo. I mean, I think it, it's it's probably the same thing. I mean, it, it, when when you imagine something that looks real to you, the question mm-hmm. is, is that real or not? Well, I would say I would agree with you. I mean, after reading your book, I I I now accept the proposition that that is real. The difference it is, is yeah. that because it's because it actually is occurring. The, the difference is that, right. and as some people would say, and I'm not the first person to say this, but the point mm. is that what we call reality is something that people agree upon. <laughs> and that, that's that, like that. That, it's that's, that's the difference when you agree <laughs> that's upon it. Because, true. That's funny. Because I remember when you know when you were you were giving one of your stories about trying to manage one of your patients and I can't remember which uh, which patient it was in your book but you were trying to get him or her out of this out of this vision that monsters were coming or uh, or, or, or something like okay, that yeah and, and you were saying you know they're not real and and I think that's really the power of it is that is reality is something we agree upon and but it right. doesn't it doesn't mean those individual realities the the, uh, the yeah. schizophrenic are not real in some way. I think it, I think it's important to understand that. And I absolutely agree with you. And the reason that I and even when I had to say such things, when I had to tell that young man the monsters are not real, I had to do that in order for him to survive in this generally agreed upon reality right because had i not done that i mean he probably would have been severely hurt by law enforcement or by um you know one of the residents that were in the the building that he was planning on blowing up so sometimes we have to even bend our own thinking philip um in order to survive 
Yes. I mean, I, I believe that what he saw was real, but, you know, as you say, reality is, is only reality because we agree on it, and we, this is where we function. Right, right, and unless, right, and that, I think, is what it's all about. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Hilary Jamron, the author of Surrealistic Trials about surviving her life after death. And we're getting into some amazing stories that only Hillary could talk about because Hillary uh, actually died and part of her soul remains in another world while she is with us right now on the telephone. Now, something here that I think we also need to um, unravel a little bit or unwrap is mm -hmm. is this notion that part of you remains in in the other realm which is really really neat one of the things bef before I like to have you talk about that I noticed that before you died of this drug overdose you you had some spiritual experiences before that uh, is, is, is I, that, yeah, is that correct? I, I mean, think yeah. the seeds were. I think those seeds were planted before, before I entered this life. Yes, and I think my my overdose and my death uh, just magnified what was what had already been planted. Yeah, because a lot of people, you know, it seems like when we're younger, there is more of an enchantment. To the world. I mean, I think I that's, love that. You yeah, know, I, th I, th I think that's one of the things about being young, uh, where where we don't um, where we haven't bought into this mechanical in, uh, world picture or this or what I would call an imprisoning world picture, mm -hmm. where there is still magic to the world, and and of course, parenthetically, I think that's one reason why fairy tales are so popular. Because they are magical so stories, but anyways, um, it seemed to me like you had so, you had sort of a magical or an enchanting. I mean, upbringing. I mean, up upbringing. You you did have some uh, this notion that we're not limited by our bodies when even when you were young. Is that right? That is right. I've I've never felt limited, and and just as a as a side. Thought when you were talking, it came to me that um, the part of me that didn't come back, none of me wanted to come back. I distinctly remember arguing with this woman who happened to be my second grade teacher, who happened to be on the other side, telling me I had to go back, and I did not want to come back. But the part of me that's still there just has that innocence, and I have that sense of enchantment. And I'm able to tap into it on a very regular basis. You know, I go I go out in my kayak and I in, I invent stories and islands and I play like a three year old and yeah. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I have a lot of fun. Well, but go ahead. No, I was going to say. I mean, one of my questions was going to be how is how is life like kayaking? Because because I think that you're you're. Uh, your stories about kayaking and its similarity to mm. to life in general, I thought mm -hmm. was 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 really neat. And again, I have a kayak as well, 
Oh, do and, you? And let me say that I'm still learning to to move it in the right direction. So I have a long <laughs> yeah. I have a long way to go, but I do have a kayak, and so you your book has partly has partly inspired me to figure out how to stay afloat. But with that little aside, um, what how why don't you I like you have you talk a little bit about how what is it about kayaking that tells you something about the world? I mean, what is it that appeals to you other than it's a sort of a serene, um, you know, thing to do? It gets me away. It gets me into nature yeah. alone. Yeah. And in nature, because I because I'm physically limited because of you know some medical problems, I I don't walk very well. And I used to be a very avid backpacker and hiker, and I can't do that anymore. So the kayak offers me a way to get out into nature and paddle. Wherever I want to go, and I live in a gorgeous area, I can, I can get away. Uh, my dog sits on the front like a little Viking ship dog. Yeah. And and I can get away, and there's the, there I have that same sense of peace on the water when it's quiet, which is I go very early in the morning usually. There's nobody awake. There's There's nobody on the lake. It's a huge lake. It's gorgeous. And I feel so at peace again in the water, in nature. And I think nature is, well, I know that nature is where I connect with the universe. That's the meeting, that's the meeting ground where, where I, I become one with God and with the universe. And that has been true as, for as long as I can remember. But it certainly has been become more apparent one since the overdose and two since my uh, physical mobility has been limited so i i use any means that i can to access the places that i love which are you know beautiful places in nature nature is so powerful yeah nature nature is where i believe church is that god lives there that's you know, that's the place to be. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we tend to um, trivialize or take it take it for granted. We te- I mean, not... I think anybody that spends a lot of time in nature does not take it for granted. But those I of agree. Us, but those of us who live in cities, we tend to take mm-hmm. it for granted because all we see is, you know, we see a lot of concrete and stop signs and buildings and uh, vacant property, etc., but I always say, look up at the sky, and and you should be um, inspired just by that. I'm going to read uh, a line, a sentence from your your book that I thought was was really good on this point. It says, "It is in yeah. nature, it is in nature that the soul most effortlessly becomes one with the universe, where lines of separation vanish, and the knowledge that reality is everywhere is clear." And I thought that was really good because mm-hmm. because you know. It's something that we could easily forget, and coming from you, I thought it was a powerful, uh, you know, a powerful statement. I happen to think that nature is the highest achievement of the mind of God. Now, I which, do too. which is which is sort of, it's not an original thought, but it to me it explains it, and 
uh, and those who think this is some kind of crazy talk, uh, remember there is a thing called pantheism, which is the um, position that nature is God. And then, of course, uh, about 50% of the, of the people on the face of the earth believe that God created the world. And so nature, of course, is, uh, I think, the highest achievement of the mind of God, but that's just me. Okay, so I, I like to, I like to um, talk a little bit more a little bit more about sort of your dual realities because this is something extremely unique. I think everybody can have that. If, you know, I don't know that everybody wants it. It's sometimes uh, rather inconvenient because uh, let's say I'm not all here. I have, uh, I do have a, you know, an organic brain injury from the overdose. You know, you can see on an MRI. But beyond that, um, sometimes it's hard for me to land, to ground myself, and sometimes I don't want to. And that can be that can be inconvenient. Um, I constantly lose things. Uh, you know, I, I just have, I have trouble focusing. When I and the way that I can manage my life is by paying attention to what I what I need and making sure that my need is met. That's why if I get up at five o'clock in the morning, I go out, I get on the I get in the kayak, whether no matter what the weather is, because that grounds me for the day. And if I don't do those kinds of things, then I part of me just drifts away but for the most part i feel i feel really blessed to sort of live these multiple realities um this this reality as you said is the more dominant one for the most part than other realities when i was in the coma the other reality was more uh more prevalent and my body had nothing to say about what was going on. Now I now I do have something to say about my body has something to say about what's going on, but I will not define myself as my body because I mean you wouldn't know it to look at me. I, I look okay, but I have a lot of broken body parts. My feet are kind of broken. My brain's pretty broken. My hands, you know, they're just things that don't work. Yeah. But that's not how I define myself. I don't define myself as being broken because my body is broken. I'm not broken. Yeah. My spirit certainly is not broken. And that's how I, that's how I get through the days. I, I don't focus on um, the negative part. I don't focus on the parts that uh, are difficult. Is, is it a yeah. constant? Is it a constant sort of mindset that you have? And uh, and by mindset, I mean, are you constantly uh, sort of uh, uh, balanced between these two worlds, or is it something where you could access one uh, more, uh, you know, at will? Or are there certain moments when you're when you're more in the other realm? How does that work? I'm always, I'm always, I can always access either one right. when I want to. 
right. and I can usually focus on um, let's let's use this this one because this is this is the place that sometimes I have to be you know I mean when I don't feel like it right or when I was working you know I mean I had to be here and um, so I am able to access both at the same time sometimes it's it is a battle not all the time I wouldn't say all the time right. though I'd say sometimes right I have days when I can do, I can be here in this world and I'm fine with that and I I don't drift off but sometimes I I just sort of float away to that other world and it is a little bit of a I never thought of it that way but I guess it is a little bit of a constant struggle it's a um I don't even like the word struggle but you know that's just semantics it's there's a constant pull for me to leave yeah um well it's to not deal with all this the yeah. stuff of daily life it seems so meaningless to me yeah well it reminds me i mean there's a lot of things that uh that we that we do during life that make us quote unquote high or to give us a high and that, i mean for example um uh physical exertion is one. Oh yeah and and mm -hmm. obviously drugs is another one and then mm -hmm. meditation is another. I mean, and and I like to think that. I mean, I was think I've been thinking about this recently that people that um, want to be the richest person in, in the world, I think that there's a certain high from that. Now, personally, I think that's a very difficult way and a very temporary way. But I think that everyone is looking for a high in some way or another. To, and and mm -hmm. and what struck me about about the dual reality. Uh, mindset is that you have been to the other side you are still in the other side and so yeah. maybe you have this you have this direct conduit here that is fixed <laughs> and so i do you know, so you know you're saying i'm always high well well no saying? i'm saying no i i don't <laughs> think i think that you know high has a bad connotation uh, because because we're always searching for it so how can it be a bad thing now I, I but you know the the other side to it is that you to me you have to be rooted in something though um at least if you're going to be in this realm this is Philip Camella mm -hmm. this is conversations beyond science and religion uh I'm speaking with Hel uh, with Hillary Jamron the author of the new book surrealistic trials surviving my life after death and we're talking about um how Hillary died and has come back and part of her soul remains in another realm and yes this is real and so now let's I I, I want to um, talk about a sensitive topic which is mental illness because Good. because it seems to me that our society still doesn't understand it very well and I, and, and I have a funny feeling that you have something to say about that. And I, I'd like you to just because you you have given part of your life to helping people with mental illness. And I and and because I think you you probably understand them. And just I just do. just just in what you've already said about schizophrenics and, and reading your book. What is it about society that 
has it wrong about mental illness? And, and you could answer it any way you want to. You know what I'm trying to get at. I do. I know. Okay. I think, you know, just mental illness is is the last bastion of, of stigmas that it's sort of okay to hang on to. It's okay, it's okay in our society to um, be afraid of crazy people. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what it is. It's, it's that most, a lot of people, you know, you'll see a homeless person who looks sort of, sort of bonkers, and you, you cross the street. I mean, right. It's just what it is. Um, these people, you know, the people that I worked with, for the most part, are you know very, very bright, intelligent, uh, quick-witted educated people who happen to have a metabolic physiological illness that manifests itself in their brain. It's not different than any other illness. It just looks different. And our society is afraid of different. People are afraid of uh, anything that, I mean, things that we don't understand, we tend to fear. And that sort of takes me back to the high, both the high and fear. When you were a little kid, did you used to turn yourself around in circles until you really, I mean, what it, what it comes down to is accessed another reality by making yourself dizzy, and then you fall down on the grass, you lay there until the world stops spinning. Remember? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yep, I did too. Yep. I think that is the first way that we get high. Yeah. And we don't think about that. Um, we, we access another reality that way. We're in dizzy land, so to speak. Yeah. Um, people with mental illness are, are so abused in our, in our culture. And, you know, most mental illness is, is very treatable, very, very treatable. We have excellent medication. We have excellent methods of treating you know, even the, the major mental illness categories like schizophrenia, bipolar illness, they're they're treatable. Um, yet we're we are as a society afraid. And you're right, that bothers me. It bothers me that uh, people with mental illness, it's okay to still discriminate against them. Everybody else has. You know, there is NAMI. There are there are organizations, uh, the National Association for Mental Illness, but um, for the most part, there are very few people that really speak out for the rights of mentally ill people, and that's something that I've done for a very long time, and I believe that, you know, we need to get past that. We need to stop being so afraid and start learning from from these folks who have so much to, treat, to teach us about other realities. They can they can teach us. We just don't ask them. I asked them. Yeah. When when I asked them, they told me yeah. because they trusted me. And the reason they trusted me is because I trusted them, and I was not afraid of them. And I am not afraid. Well, well, that's it, what it's all about. Well, it, well, it comes down to as well that when number one, when you go through, when you go through what you went through, you clearly have a deeper understanding of what the world's all about, and then 
your uh, your position, which I agree with that we've already discussed about how um, illusions are real, at least in some mm -hmm. way. That right. that these that we we forget that that we we don't we don't live in a in a mechanical robotic world it's sort of like i in some ways it's like um somebody with a child's mind being plopped down in the middle of wall street um <laughs> and and you know right. and just and yeah. just or or somebody from another planet being dropped mm -hmm. You know, dropped on in Wall Street, and with all the rush of traffic and the newspapers and the smells and and everything, right. it's sort of like being out of place. And sometimes I just think that is a it's it's sort of a misfit it's it, it's a misfit issue, because we go back to the same thing. If we are really divine creatures, really spiritual beings, mm -hmm. then 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 many of us will not fit into the world. Because the world hasn't quite accepted that notion, and so I agree. you know, and so that's that's really, frankly, Hillary, what I'm about is that I think that we need to move beyond this this mechanical world picture into a place where we understand what our true essence is. And 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 to be specific, we were right in the beginning. We were right when we were kids. It is an mm -hmm. enchanted that's world. That's right. It is. It, it's it still is. We just forgot about it. So it really is. It really is something that I, I give you a lot of credit for, um, to to pay, to, to pay attention to that, because it is something Thank you're you. because you are exactly right that it's something Thank that we we package we package it, uh, you know, mental illness and we put it on the shelf just like I hate to say right. it, it's just like homelessness and poverty too. We do the same thing. Right, we exactly. Stick, we stick exactly. it on the shelf and then, okay, that those are the homeless people. Now let's get on with everything else. Right. So, right. We'll leave them up on the shelf. And fear, fear, I think, is, I mean, when, when we go back to looking at, at children, we're, we as children were not born afraid of much of anything. That's why our parents were always saying, get down off that seawall, you know, don't climb so high in the tree, you're going to fall. We weren't afraid. Fear right. is a learned, fear is learned. Yeah. We were taught how to be afraid. And we need to recognize that and by recognizing it, you know, hopefully we can stop being so afraid of things. Yeah, you know, you know. Sometimes I think that, and I, and maybe, and I, if I interrupt you, I, I apologize. I'll let you go back, no. but you know, it reminds me of you know, people are always talking about the last frontier, you know, space, the last front frontier, what, what, or the ocean, yeah. the oceans, the, the last frontier. Well, really, maybe. Our minds are the last frontier. We, oh we, yeah, I know, like I mean, that. I mean, we—that's really we—we we are afraid of the unknown. It's just like everything else; it's never as bad as you think. And you know, Franklin Roosevelt was right. You know, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. He was exactly yeah. right. And more more ways than one, he was. A, I know, I know. He was a smart guy. And I—that's right. I agree with you. Yeah, he was a smart I, guy. You know, I think. Well, I think you know. What is there to be afraid of in our mind? It's our, there are minds. Right. Right. Well, and so, yeah. yeah. What, are, what are we afraid of? What are, well, it's, mean, yeah, it's, it's... Other it's, realities? What's, what's, to be, what's to be afraid of? Well, it's clearly, it's clearly something that we visualize and prop it up as being a fear. And, I, and, and without getting overly controversial here, although I, I've, I've been here, I've done this on before i mean i think it's one reason why 
uh, <clears throat> why our, our society is so afraid of drugs, for example, um, that that it puts you in a place that people are afraid. It's it's a concern. Now, luckily, as in the next hundred or two hundred years, when more and more presidents and and leaders actually experience it, as opposed to have this deep fear about it, it may not be as it, you know, it may not be as um, criminalized, or, or I, or I think that minds will open. But I think it's another sign that we tend to be afraid of the power of our minds or our consciousness or our spirits. But it really is the best of all possible things. And I'm not talking about drugs being the best, the best of all possible things. I'm talking about the power of our, our mind power, and, yeah. uh, as 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 being something that that we should um, appreciate. Now, in one of the other nice things about about your book is that you have a lot of just simple, simple, straightforward, um, you know, lessons that are are good takeaways for anybody. And a couple of, a couple of them, I, I want to touch upon here. And and I'm gonna start I'm gonna start with uh, this notion that we are not our bodies. And and this this is something you probably know something about. Um, because you've been there, but what? Right, right. But, but what do you mean by that? What do you mean by we are not our bodies? Well, I think we we touched on that earlier as well. I, I think you know we are part we're part of something so much more. We live in our bodies, but as I said earlier, uh, we don't have to be defined by our bodies. For some people, uh, you know, who are who have anorexia or you know have problem body image or too are too focused on are very focused on body image they we become our but we can become our bodies but ultimately we're really not our bodies um we are we are our spirits does that does that mean and we we did talk about um my body's broken i'm not broken i could choose to be broken if I wanted to, since my body's broken, people kind of expect me to be broken. But we can make that choice whether or not to identify ourselves by our bodies. We, because we're part of something, so much, of something so much bigger, part of the universe. We're part of all that is. You know, we're not just a body walking around. We live in them. We we're going to use this body and move on. Yeah. Well, I I mean, one way to put it um, is is big mind, small body. Is that if if you, like that. if you yeah. if you live if you live with the big mind, in other words, if you live with the attitude that we are part of a of God, um, right? And we are in bodies because otherwise there would be only one entity. Um, mm -hmm. Then, then it starts. Then it's then it starts making sense. And frankly, I think Hillary, one of the challenges that we have uh, is is to sort of balance the the ethereal oneness with actually putting food on the table. And it's, uh, yeah. it's sort of it's mm -hmm. sort of like it's that's an amazing it's a, it's a challenge and a, you know it's it's a test experiment we're doing every day. And I know. Because you know, I, I'm a lawyer, and I undergo the stress, the challenges, the arguments, 
the debates, all that, all that stuff, and remaining pleasant and calm is very difficult to do that. And so, and yeah. so, therefore, but, but it's, but it's something I always try. In fact, every day I start, I try to do the same thing. It never works, but I, I recover. You know, I tell people that I, I recover fast. This is, this is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Hilary Jamron, the author of Surrealistic Trials, Surviving My Life After Death. And we're talking about how she has uh, managed to survive death and live in, in more than one reality. Now, before I circle back with a couple of the other on a couple of your other um, lessons, I, I'd like you to talk about something that's a little, that's different, and that is Mary. Mary. And Mary, a, a lot of guardian angel. A lot of people have guardian angels or or think they do. What, what, what can you say about your guardian angel? My guardian angel has been with me all my life, although I didn't, I didn't recognize her as being that until much later, until I died. And I, I can see her even, no matter what I'm doing, I can see her all the time, if I, anytime I want to. She's, I feel her with me. Um, and I don't walk around talking to her, but I, I think to her sometimes. And she helped me to survive the coma. She took care of me. She watched over me. She she just was there for me. When I came out of the coma and eventually um, got out of Mount Sinai Hospital, I went looking for Mary. And I spent two days at the small hospital that I had been transferred from in upstate, in the Caskills. And um, I was told that she did not exist. There was nobody there by that name. There was nobody there with that description. And I sat at the staff entrance to this little hospital for two days, and she didn't show up. But I know, as sure as I breathe, for an absolute fact that she is real, because she's still with me. Right. Yeah, well, that that was a very powerful part of your book, because that it's it's sort of like she became more real the deeper you were lost right you know, it was something it was something like that and and I'd i like that yeah it, and I, and i got the feeling that to you um this uh mary did uh, did mm-hmm. occupy three dimensional space in other yes. words in other words she was there she was like anybody else and as you've pulled back from the other world other realm She's mm-hmm. still there. Would you would you call her more spiritual now, um, or how would you describe her in terms of her? I de- I describe her as um, you know she's pretty much a, reg- a regular person. I I see her yeah. when I when I want to. I, I I know. I mean, I would recognize her if she landed in downtown Bellingham and walked up to me. I would know who she was. Right. But I describe her as. Um, an essence of safety, an essence of love, um, and a, an extremely powerful reminder that 
we are so much more. Right. Right. Because right. she's al she's always here. Yeah. Well, I think that's I think that's really encouraging and inspiring to people who have doubts about it. Go ahead. And once again, it's, it's just like anything else that uh, many other things we talk about on this show. You could approach stories like this as being fiction, or you could open up your mind and say, "We are talking about the world we live in, and we need That's to right. open and we need to open our minds to the very real possibility, in fact, the truth that this stuff actually happens." You know, the book that I'm I'm listening to in the car right now is Proof of Heaven, and because oh, I, yeah. I wanted to get prepared, you know, I wanted to get another sign of it, and it's just, it's it's and I, I'm just barely into it, but as I said at the top of the show, the more people with credentials who have experiences like this, the more real it becomes. And this is a, I think this is a good thing because we start, oh, un yeah. because we start unwrapping the depth uh, of our world and we start, we start experiencing more of the enchantment. So I, so I think this is, this is actually, I, I think, something that we all need to pay some attention to. Now, we're not going to have a lot of time um, to talk to, to you, Hillary, uh, unless and until I have you back on the show. But while I have you here, because of your, you know, you come from such a unique place, I think it would be helpful for you just to tell the listeners a couple of the lessons that you that you could convey that that have that have made you the person you are because you you have survived as I would put it lifetimes of <laughs> challenges not just one you I don't know how many lifetimes yeah. it is but you you have been through uh, probably yeah, more experiences than anybody else I've ever spoken to so wow. with that experience um, what are what are some things that you would tell folks just uh, to, well, to help put, them? Go ahead. You put that so powerfully. Um, yeah, I've been through some stuff. Um, one of the ways that I get by is that I don't spend a lot of time looking back. I look back only long enough to figure out what the lesson is. Because I believe that I know, I don't believe I know that there's a lesson in everything that happens to us. Um, certainly, the ch you know, the challenges that you're referring to are primarily medical challenges. I believe that all those things happen for a reason and that there's always a lesson. I look back, I figure out what the lesson is. If I need help figuring it out, I find that help. I get the lesson and then I move forward. It's so easy to get stuck in the past. And I think that's a danger that we all need to be careful of because we, we're not gonna change the past. If we get stuck there, then we're victims. If we learn and move forward, then we become a little bit smarter, a little bit deeper, a little bit more wisdom seeps in. So that's that's one is is don't you know not to spend a lot of time feeling sorry for yourself or you know however you might put that, but not to spend a lot of time in the past. You know, the present is what matters, and learning is the other thing that matters. Um, secondly, I guess uh, the fear issue 
that fear is only an illusion. Fear is kind of the opposite of love. The more we love, the less chance fear has to take over. And we as human beings um, really need to put out more love to change the, the mindset of humanity. I mean, that might sound like a tall order, but I believe that. I believe that because fear is learned, it can also be unlearned by not focusing on it and focusing on on love and trust, like I did, like it, for, like I did in my career for 20 years. I loved and trusted the people that everybody else was afraid of. Um, yeah, those are some the, great. Yeah, yeah, those are those are those are some great. Yeah. Uh, some great lessons, and I think that if if nothing else, and I'm going to say this again, that it's always nice to know that many of these things that we sort of think are good for you, um, like like not living your life in the past is a good one. And I, I love the way you put it. Um, you know, look back at the past long enough to get the lesson and move on. Right. Because, because, you know, I... I have spent a lot of time myself thinking about what is time, you know, okay, so I, I'm, I have a philosophy degree, okay, so I ponder things, okay, and once in a while, and, and, after, yeah. and after a while, I ponder long enough, I just, I just decide, look at this way, and I move on, but time, I've, I've concluded the most simple way to define time is change in the forward direction, which is the simplest possible thing, it's probably something a three-year-old could come up with, because oh, like because all it is is change in the forward direction. I mean, it's nothing else, um, mm. and that that is what's driven me too, Hillary. And this is one thing that I, I resonate with your well book. I like, I, I I like this concept of whatever happens, keep going forward. Right. And because it's so simple, but if you have that in your in your mindset, deeply rooted. That mm-hmm. nothing really bothers you because because life is filled with mistakes. I mean, you you went through a lot when you were young. You clearly were going down a path that wasn't um, the most promising um, with regard to the you know just right. just just the, you know the drugs and everything. Uh, even mm-hmm. though again uh, you know uh, there is a right and wrong way to do everything, but on the other hand. You learn from that, and look, and, you know. And today, uh, you're an uh, amazing person, having having um, you know experienced all that. You learn from it, um, and if you don't continue moving forward, I think when you stop doing that, I think then the end comes. I think then, you know, you have nothing else to do. I think, yeah. I think, you know, I think it might sound corny, but you know, I w- I would not trade any single one of those experiences that people view as being difficult, say, I wouldn't trade them for anything in the world because I like who I am today. I respect myself, and all of those experiences have made me this person, and that's a good thing, and I will keep moving forward as we all need to do. Yeah, well, if, if, if nothing else... It, it it means it means that the, that hope is real. I always I always like to say you know some people uh, say that life has a purpose and that lessons have a purpose and that um, 
and then, and, then, and then other people think, well, maybe some things have a purpose like, you know, falling down in a puddle of water. What what purpose did you know came out of that one? <laughs> I, I like I like to think I, I think it's more I think it's healthier believing that everything does have a purpose. It's just that we we can't figure it out like instantaneously. <laughs> You know, I mean, it, it really is. I mean, every everybody wants to have the answer now, but some of these things, right. some of these things, don't unravel or don't don't uh, reveal their meaning until years and years later. Um, and then, and then maybe what the heck? Maybe maybe um, you know, slapstick comedy is part of is is part of the meaning too, and there probably is some randomness out there, uh, but. But in any event, it's real. It's an it's an amazing story that you tell. Now, um, with regard to uh, right now, you are uh, retired. Is that correct? Or are you still writing? Or, or, or I'm both. 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 And I'm retired from. I'm retired. I don't. Yeah, I'm not working uh, yeah. in mental health anymore. I yeah. and I am writing. Yeah. Well, that's good. So, so how can people? Um, how can people uh, find your book and and um, other things that you're the other other things that you're working on? The book is available through um, the publisher Light Technology, Amazon, iTunes, um, Barnes and Noble. I have a website is surrealistictrials.com, and if anybody wants to have a further conversation with me, um, I have an email that is hillarytalks at yahoo.com. And I, you know, I'm happy to engage in conversation with people as long as it's productive and we can all, we can learn from each other. Yeah, well, that that's great. And, and I want to, um, Again, recommend Facebook page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to recommend Hillary's book again, and because uh, surrealistic trials, because it is so unique. It, it's a mix of personal anecdotes, st- stories, fascinating um, uh, accounts of uh, <clears throat> of the afterlife, of the white lights, of angels, of of uh, helping people in times of need. It's 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 a real mix. Of of the two realities, Hillary, frankly, and, and uh, it's fun. It, it, yeah, it's fun, and it, and it, it really it, it gives you a nice sort of down. I have to say, a down to earth picture of what it's like to die and to come back, and that's something that we don't see a lot of. Um, and lastly, I will say that this whole concept of keep moving forward is really. A simple and powerful um, lesson from all this, uh, Hillary. In your book, you continue uh, to emphasize this 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 uh, point about never giving up, keep moving forward. Wow. And I think your own story is testament to that. Uh, this well, is thank you very much. This is this is Philip Camella. This is conversations beyond science and religion. Uh, next week, I'll have Richard Con Henry. Uh, a professor of physics and we're going to be talking about the mental universe so stay in touch with that as we switch gears and and get into quantum theory a little bit we'll see you next week thanks for listening you've been listening to conversations beyond science and religion hosted by philip camilla to find out more about philip and his book the collapse of materialism 
Visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.